Welcome back to GGM UK's podcast, placing women and ethnic minorities at the heart of all of our projects. My name is Dila and today we have three incredible guests on our podcast who are trailblazing for women of colour in academia, Dr. Nima Begum, Dr. Rima Saini and Siobhan O'Neill. Today we will be discussing the campaign which has attracted widespread support due to the Black Lives Matter movement, decolonising the curriculum. Until recently, most of us may not have questioned the single perspective we have been taught in for our entire lives. I mean, when I was in school, I don't remember learning about colonialism or the slave trade, but at least I can name all of Henry VIII's wives. But the demand to decolonise the curriculum speaks to the need for an education system which is inclusive to and representative of a black and minority ethnic population. This is where I invite our deeply experienced guests to help us understand how white our curriculum is and what needs to change. I'm Dr. Nima Begum. I'm a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Manchester and I work on ethnic minority voting behaviour and political representation. My name's Dr. Rima Saini. I'm a lecturer in sociology at Middlesex University. I did my PhD research on the experiences of kind of middle-class professional British South Asians from working-class backgrounds who kind of exist and, and live and work in traditionally kind of white middle-class spaces. I'm also uh, the co-lead on decolonisation um, within the School of Law at Middlesex University, and I'm also um, a co-chair slash sub-chair for the Race Diversity Network that we have at, at the university as well. I'm Siobhan O'Neill, I'm just going into my second year of PhD research at the University of Manchester. My project looks at the whiteness of politics in particular as a discipline and the effects of that on racially minoritised students. Thank you very much for joining me today. It is a pleasure meeting you all and I'm very excited to jump into discussion. My first question would be for our listeners who may not know what a white curriculum is. Could you please explain to us what it means? Well, if we think about the curriculum as like a body of ideas or a system of knowledge, then a white curriculum is one that is centred and orientated around whiteness. I think it's white curriculums, especially in higher education, so at university level, can be white on, on many different axes. It's where knowledge is produced by and for and to maintain and reproduce the privilege of predominantly white middle-class men or all white populations. Um, you don't have a lot of introspection about white Western colonialism and how the world that we live in has been produced. The white curriculum perpetuates these ideas of white supremacy. So what does this look like in our schools and classrooms? The things that we learn is quite selective and we don't really learn about colonial history or slavery. And The effect of that is that it excludes people of colour, like non-traditional people who the curriculum isn't designed with them in mind. So as I understand it, white students and experts are at the forefront of our education, making the decisions about what we learn and how we learn it. Rima, you mentioned how universities especially are built with white people in mind. And as a current university student myself, I'm only now becoming aware of the whiteness of my education. And I have to say, social media has pushed me in this direction. But I want to know when you personally realised it yourselves. So for me, I think it was like a really gradual over time 
kind of thing because I had quite a middle class upbringing and I went to a very white secondary school so it kind of took me a while and then I came to university and maybe in my second year I became the race girl in a lot of my classes and I'd always be the one who put my hand up and said okay but is there anyone else who's spoken about this who's not a white European middle to upper class able-bodied straight man Um, and the answer was usually no or I was met with like eye roll size from teachers and students or sometimes the person leaving the seminar would say something like Siobhan I'm sure you've got something to say about this so then that's when I realized why am I the only one talking about race and colonialism and then I was waiting for a meeting outside the politics department and just looked at the, um, there's like a picture of all the members of staff. And I was like, my suspicions are confirmed. There is no black person here. Like I never had a TA who was black. I never had a lecturer who was black or an advisor. Um, So that's when I noticed, wow, my education has been and continues to be extremely white. Wow, I really get that. I remember when I picked an optional module to study called Africa in the Contemporary World and that was my only class where the reading list actually had a black author on it and the department wasn't surprisingly all white. So that's really interesting because I had a Africa and Global Politics module and yes the reading list wasn't as white and the class was more diverse because it was a module we could choose but the lecturer was a white European man. And that's not to say he wasn't a good teacher, but I was like, and you are the expert on all things Africa. That just solidified it. Nima, when did you realise? Because I went to a majority ethnic minority school. Most of the students were Pakistani or Bangladeshi. And then I went to university and it was very white and then I found my identity becoming very kind of politicized as a Muslim brown woman. It was probably when I started my PhD that I started looking more at race. I'd always been interested in those questions but there wasn't really a space in my university degree to ponder those questions and I felt like when I was at university there was a strong emphasis on gender and gender and politics and I think that was just sort of coming through and there were more female lecturers and um, there was more teaching around gender but then it was a very white feminism that was being touted. What do you mean by white feminism? I mean I have a lot of feminist friends who are white but I'm talking more about a white feminist mentality that whiteness is what defines womanhood. So how can this white feminist mentality be detrimental? it erases all other types of inequality so having my some of my feminist friends supporting Hillary Clinton and other women just because they're women and they've progressed in politics while ignoring the problematic politics that they have on in other respects. Okay so we have spoken about how our education has consistently been sidelining non-white students, teachers, experts and even thoughts whilst glorifying their white counterparts. It continues to perpetuate a colonial relationship. But how do we go about decolonizing our education? It is a radical project to rethink the way that knowledge is produced, who is producing it, 
what kind of ideas are they putting forward it's not just about adding more racialized minorities to the curriculum or having more black and asian lecturers or professors even though that would be a good start but it's more about what are we learning why are we learning in this way why are we learning a particular worldview and not others so decolonizing the curriculum takes many forms and is something that's disputed and i think in recent years is becoming co-opted by institutions because it was it was a very student-led movement and a very radical movement to change the way things are in higher education and how ethnic minority students particularly feel in higher education and not feeling like you belong and not feeling like what is being taught speaks to you or your lived experiences. I'm aware that a student-led campaign to tackle the colonised curriculum has existed for years now, but why is it taken the killing of George Floyd for the institutions to actually acknowledge this? So I don't know why it's taken this long and us students asking for so long and for people to be murdered in broad daylight for universities to express their solidarity with racially minoritized students things like that i don't know why but i'm glad they have been mobilized but then i'm also i'm a bit suspicious of their intentions so we got an email from our politics department expressing their solidarity and their commitment to anti-racism and i just think why did it take you so long you knew that the curriculum was white you knew that we live in a racist society you knew that why did it take till now for you to say that but i'm hoping that it's a move in the right direction i think it's not in the interests of universities to decolonize they fundamentally don't want to or um, from the perspective of some managers or some staff members who have control and, and a lot of power whether financial or otherwise they're not exactly sure that it needs to either so there's a sort of a moral an ideological barrier there, but there's also a very clear sort of, if we create this change, if we put funding and resources and put ourselves on the line to make sure that we are committed to decolonization, we will lose our sense of, of who we are. And that is obviously imbued with whiteness and with, with colonialism and with capitalism as well, you know, the amount that universities get and have gotten through maintaining the status quo. So maintaining things the way they are um, doesn't doesn't mean that there's a huge incentive for them to change. But in recent years, universities have placed emphasis on inclusion of minority ethnic students. Why is this not positive change? So this idea of kind of widening participation and inclusion and equality, part of that is to come across as, as being woke and to come across as being open-minded and progressive. But again, any change that's coming into an institution that has benefited and, and been created within a system of, you know, um, oppression and of power relations and of hierarchies and has been built upon maintaining these. So universities arose to train the next generation of colonial leaders in the 17, 18, 1900s. Then changing them from the grassroots upwards from the inside out is going to be a huge effort. But the fact that we are talking about these things as plainly as we are now and trying to go beyond just discussing things like diversity quite weak sort of concepts like diversity means that there is hopefully some sort of thought change going on there at least. You said diversity was weak, could you explain why? Diversity as a concept means an attention to difference I guess and the implication is that difference 
difference in, in quote marks is a positive thing. So we can get more black students and we can get more international students. We can get more working class students. And, and that in and of itself is an end goal, perhaps. And that in and of itself is a good thing. And it is. <laughs> but then you're bringing black students and working class students into a system where they feel completely out of place because they're not reflected in the staff, in the curriculum, in the conversations that I had in the classroom and so on and so forth. So you need to go beyond that and you need to critique it as well. Could you give me specific examples of your personal experiences being in these classrooms? Um, for me, I recognise that my experience in a lot of ways has been quite privileged because you might say that I'm quite palatable to whiteness. So I recognise that in my experience, whilst I have experienced subtle microaggressions in the classroom or I have felt not represented by my curriculum or by my teachers, you know, it's not as direct and overt instances of racism as some of my peers might have experienced. But yeah, a lot of my sense in the classroom was Again, like I said, it was more like eye rolls and sighs or being asked what my project has to do with politics because I focus on race and on the personal. And obviously we're made to think that the personal isn't political when of course it is. But I know that I'm still here and like I've stuck with academia. So it hasn't been so bad that I've needed to leave. But at times it's definitely been exclusionary. And, you know, sometimes you'll sit in a lecture or you'll sit in a seminar and as a person of colour, you notice when the room is extremely white, whereas I think white people don't maybe notice that the room is extremely white. So, yeah, for me, it's just kind of small ways, subtle ways that remind me, you know, you're a bit different. The work that you're interested in isn't considered proper political knowledge. Rima, I know you went to SOAS the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. How was it different? It wasn't so bad when I was at SOAS because predominantly international, predominantly non-white, but then there was a lot of sort of your international elite there. So class-wise, I felt slightly out of place. I mean, I guess, you know, coming forward to now being a lecturer and being within my own classroom as the teacher, as it were, I've always sort of felt that I'm a disappointment to my students, that they're expecting, like, some professorial type, like your kind of Indiana Jones dashing white man coming in there and putting the world to rights for them. Even though at Middlesex University, my students are predominantly non-white and predominantly working class, and I've ask them that I'm like how do you feel and 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 they for them they they haven't had any sort of negative thoughts or preconceptions about what they would expect from me so I guess through my time working in universities and studying in universities I've taken on all sorts of feelings of of inadequacy perhaps and that feeds into low self-esteem and also feeds into kind of this sense of that I've had my whole life and I've been told my whole life that you've got to kind of make yourself exceptional to justify your place there. It is very sad to hear that you've had to kind of prove yourself even when you've excelled at your role. Nima, what do you think? There is imposter syndrome, but I think as a woman, as a woman of colour, as someone who comes from a working class background, that compounds all of my, my sense of being an imposter and not quite belonging and actually thinking back to what Siobhan was 
saying in terms of the resurgence of Black Lives Matter, and I've thought about my privilege as well because I don't face the same types of racism that a black person does. I'm also quite light skinned. I do come from a working class background, but I don't always sound working class. But even then, with some of those advantages, I've felt microaggressions, if not outright racism. When I first started teaching as a PhD student, I've felt challenged by some of my students, usually white male middle class, because I didn't fit the archetypal teacher that they were expecting. I felt like I had to go above and beyond to prove that I did have the expertise and I did have the knowledge to teach them. But also in kind of academic conferences and the kind of experiences that I've had, I do wonder if women or a white man would have the same kind of experiences. What were these experiences like? I had, I think, one presentation where someone in the audience, just a white man, basically said that I'd misunderstood something quite fundamental to my research and just went on and on about how I was wrong about this thing. And I started to question myself. I was like, I've been studying this for years. So have I got this wrong? But like, clearly I haven't. But for them to feel like they can humiliate me in that instance and say, you're wrong about this, you don't understand this. And it's kind of the patronizing demeanor also they felt they have the legitimate voice in that arena and they can undermine my knowledge and make me feel small and like I don't belong and like I don't have the capacity to meet them academically. Have you received any abuse or backlash for taking an anti-racist stance? I've had abuse online I've had if I've said anything about slavery or criticise Churchill or whatever, like I'll get an abuse on Twitter or recently I had an email sent not just to me but to all my senior colleagues and that felt quite sort of humiliating and, and I, I got a lot of messages of support afterwards but just generally that you kind of feel like you're being attacked from many different sides. That sounds horrific and it seems like you have been affected by overlapping issues beyond just your race but also your gender and background. You also mentioned your online criticism of Churchill. Obviously, we've seen the Black Lives Matter movement gaining momentum throughout the last few months. The vandalism of Churchill's statue and the pulling down of Edward Colson's statue being notable moments. But have you observed a change in attitude or conversation since then? So I think there's been some some really amazing kind of conversations that have been happening nationally globally and and within my university as well there have been sort of discussions between white and non-white members of staff between white and non-white members of staff and black students about their lived experiences um a lot of stuff has come out the woodwork which is great but it's kind of just settled there now so in terms of the next steps, I think this is what everyone is confused about. We've had this proliferation over the last few weeks that I'm involved in as well of kind of race diversity networks, which is great. And I'm involved in all of them because I don't want these conversations to happen without me. But there's been a huge amount of energy of institutions wanting to and encouraging us to discuss these quite emotional, personal feelings that we have, but but not actually committing or not articulating um, what commitment they're going to make to change and I think people have seen that in universities and also in other organisations perhaps. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I think universities seem to be committing more to their equality, diversity and inclusion initiatives, which is good in some ways, but it does seem like really superficial, especially to students of colour or staff members of colour who've been asking for so long and kind of demanding change. And now there's commitments, perhaps without the meaningful action beneath them. I think the demand for decolonization is being co-opted and being sanitized through you know diversity rather than decolonization and i think a lot of it is the university um, and members of staff wanting to deal with the guilt that they feel and deal with how they're complicit in these structures of racial inequality without tackling the problem that's like coloniality and without giving up their privileges but it's a lot of times claiming white privilege saying we know that racism is bad and we know that university is white and we know that we have white privilege and i've claimed it now So now I don't have to do anything about it or change it in any way. So it just seems like surface level improvements with basically little or no change to the foundations. But what do you actually want them to do? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it looks like, but I know what I'm seeing now is not the change that needs to happen. And when we were talking before about what would a decolonised curriculum look like, I do think part of meaningfully changing the curriculum aside from just adding people to reading lists or having more black and asian teachers and lecturers would be to change the way that we teach and it's about students not just being consumers of knowledge and they need to be like active producers and there needs to be between teacher and student kind of they're both learning together and producing knowledge together rather than the student is there paying nine grand a year to be told what they need to know and how to write an essay. How can students be producers of knowledge? Students shouldn't be taught as or be treated as passive and as consumers because they are adults and they're, well, children are equally valid as well, but they are knowledge producers and should be treated as such. And their lived experiences are valuable pieces of knowledge it doesn't have to come from a book from a philosopher from an academic Nima what changes have you observed since the Black Lives Matter movement so I think since the murder of George Floyd and there's been quite a few black people who've been victims of police brutality and murderers haven't been brought to justice I think there has been a shift in public opinion and people are more willing to say Black Lives Matter than they were a few years ago. And a lot of mainstream institutions have put out statements saying Black Lives Matter. And it's probably been uncomfortable for them when they felt like they've had to come out with a Black Lives Matter statement. And then a lot of their Black employees or people who've um, suffered under their institution being like, what about when this happened? And talking about racism being perpetrated by these organisations. It's really interesting that certain ideas are becoming talked about more in a mainstream way, including prison abolition and abolition of police and so on. I think that has been dismissed by some people in positions of power. And also the Conservative government has a lot to answer for, but they um, think they hide behind the fact that they have quite a diverse cabinet and a diverse quote-unquote. What's missing from the responses you've observed? I think 
what has been missing is I've I think I've observed a lot of white silence and a lot of silence from my white colleagues and I think race is seen as such a toxic controversial issue for a lot of white people it's like I'm not going to touch this issue with a barge or I don't want to be accused of being racist or whatever and that is a form of white privilege that they don't even have to consider their race or how their race might be affecting their life outcomes and the fact that whiteness is the norm and if you're a white person you're seen as an individual and you have other privileges that you wouldn't if you're a member of a racialized minority so I think the responses to a decolonized curriculum have been quite shallow and superficial and I should mention actually the impact of coronavirus and what that is doing for higher education in the the job market has just collapsed and there aren't very many lectureships or permanent positions in higher education that are going a lot of universities are having to make cuts and kind of first modules or courses that are on the chopping block are used usually to do with race so I think certain universities have cut their kind of race modules or post-colonial theory modules and so on and when there are fewer positions going for lectureship they're more likely to hire white staff and I think I've gotten a lot of job rejections and I kind of want like they might as well say we've given it to another white bloke. What do you think would be a good solution? maybe we should create our own spaces and create our own institutions so there's been a lot of support for the um, free black university and the kind of creation of a new space because we know that university hasn't been created for us and how much headway are we going to make actually when um, there's so much resistance to these ideas and Rima what's next for you Um, So kind of what you're doing with this podcast and what other people are doing at the moment with gathering perspectives and and giving spaces for people to talk, I think will hopefully go a long way to firstly identifying that that change is needed and then hopefully to um, to implement said change. Um, But again, it's it's going to be it's going to be a difficult journey and a lot of people are going to have to feel uncomfortable and show a bit of humility, I think. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm always happy to talk forever <laughs> about these things, <laughs> which is why I end up going on and on. That was great. Okay, hey, great. Thanks, Dila. Thank you so much to our incredible guests, Siobhan, Nima and Rima, for shedding light on this incredibly important matter. Please do check out their academic articles to find out more. Keeping these discussions going and consistently challenging the norm will hopefully pave a way for a representative and decolonised curriculum in the near future. We'll see you next month for more GGM UK. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.